Last week, I got to publicly announce to you our initiative. This week, the session met and unanimously voted to take all of the next steps that we're taking. I shared with them the news that I'm going to share with you this morning that around 100 families have been willing to make early commitments to the Renewing the Promise campaign. The Renewing the Promise campaign is an ambitious goal. It's $50 million of all in with ministry and mission together. And I'm pleased to announce that out of those early commitments, we have already raised 27 million of the $50 million in order for us to be able to move ahead. And so that means we're already 54% there of an effort that's going to renovate 50% of our campus. The core functions of worship and education for adults as well as children and students. Expanding the Williams Center, our first ever outdoor green space in the life of the church. And so many more things for us to discuss coming ahead in the future. And so I look forward to sharing with you more details, more of the hopes, more of the dreams. But what Schneider reminded us of that I never want to lose focus on, because we'll ask a lot of how questions, and we'll ask a lot of what questions, but we never want to lose focus on the why. The reason that we are choosing to set aside resources beyond our typical tithes and offerings of what we do on a weekly basis is for us to be able to make a strategic investment, for us to make sure that we are reaching ahead into the next generation. That for a hundred years, this congregation has had the foresight of being able to reach ahead to make sure that the next generation gets to experience the gospel here, in and through this campus and this place. And so I'm so excited for us to be able to get to do this together, and I am confident that if we all pull together, that we'll be able to do this. Amen? Stay tuned for more information, but now will you turn with me in your uh, either Matthew journals or the Bible that we've provided for you to Matthew chapter 13. If you haven't been with us this year, we are walking through the book of Matthew. So beginning in the new year, we started chapter by chapter, week by week, walking through the book of Matthew and being able to explore and to discover the story of the gospel. And I've heard many of you tell me last year when we did the quest that you've never read the Bible systematically before. And I've had many of you tell me this year that with your congregation that you've never read the Bible as slowly and methodically as you've studied more deeply this year as we walk chapter by chapter. And so even if you're new and you haven't been with us, we have extra copies of the Matthew journals at our exits and we'd love to be able to share one of these with you and have you join us for this particular journey. Before I read the text, I need to tell you about the most important rock band in history, and that is U2. They have been singing and leading in music since 1976, and they have won so many different, 22 different Grammy awards for their work. One of the primary parts of their genius is the edge, the anthem-like melodies that he is able to make come out of a single instrument out of a guitar. And this is what the edge looks like with his patented beanie on his head and his goatee. About a decade ago, while the edge and his family were living, by the way, edge is a good Presbyterian like we are, the edge went to his son who was younger and said, what are you going to be for Halloween this year? And his son said, dad, 
I want to be you for Halloween. And his dad was obviously moved and honored by that. And he said, well, what do you think I should be for Halloween? And he said, I think that you ought to be you for Halloween as well. And so the father-son duo with Ed strapping a very expensive guitar on his back and both of them wearing their beanies and going out to the Los Angeles neighborhoods to go trick-or-treating, they went from house to house. But what happened when they did this surprised them. That when the door would open and the people would be like, oh my gosh, it's a little edge, you are so cute. And then they said things like, but your dad looks nothing like the edge. <laughs> Here they were in the presence of the real rock star and they couldn't see it. They couldn't recognize it. They couldn't understand it. They couldn't know it. Jesus is about to tell us a story of how you and I can be in the presence of God, that we can be in the presence of the living word and the gospel. And the way that it is described is in this way, that seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. How is it that we can be in the presence of God and his good news and not recognize it? And not respond to it. Matthew chapter 13, starting in the first verse. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. A great crowds gathered around him, and so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. And since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. And he who has ears, let him hear." And so I want to share with you this morning that as Jesus tells this famous parable that there are three dimensions to this story, some of which you may have considered before and some of which you hadn't. That in this story, the different kind of constituent parts are that there are the seeds, there are the soils, and then there's this sower. The seed, the soils, and the sower. First, let's talk about the seed itself. It's so blatantly obvious that Tim Keller says that we have a tendency to miss it. That Jesus is not just using some random farming agricultural image, that Jesus is very intentional with the story that he is telling. That when we remember that Jesus came into the world as the embodiment of God's good news, as God's image bearer, Jesus did not come into the world like a smashing comet. Yes, the stars lit up at his coming, but Jesus came in as a vulnerable and gentle child. And so when we think about Jesus entering into Jerusalem on what we call the triumphal injury, entry, Jesus did not come in on a war horse, but he came in on a beast of burden, on a beast that is symbolic more of peace than of wartime. In other words, Tim Keller says that one of the things that we have a tendency to miss in the story is, is that 
that the gospel doesn't come into our lives more like a boulder breaking the earth, but that the gospel comes into our life more gently than that, like that of a little seed. But do not misunderstand in the gentleness and the softness of the seed. Do not misunderstand that as a lack of power. For when the seed enters into our lives, it has the capacity to push and to grow, to do things with immense power. But it does so in a soft way. I don't know wherever I learned the phrase for the first time, but you know how coaches and teachers and Parents will often turn to their kids or to the people they work with and say, hey, you just need to try harder. And yet one of the things that I remember learning along the way is, I remember reading that there was one author who said, but I don't remember where it came from, where he says, hey, you know, sometimes you just need to try softer. Sometimes the hard approach is not the right one. It's college basketball time. How about that San Diego State game last yesterday, right? Was that pretty exciting or what? And one of the most iconic figures of college basketball is this figure here. This is the famous coach, John Wooden, who attributed most of what he learned in leadership in his life to what he learned from his father. He said that his father was one who worked and grew up in kind of rural Indiana and that When John Wooden was a son in Indiana, one of the things that he discovered is how his father would work, not only with the people around him, but with his animals. In rural Indiana at the time, when there was lots of road and excavation kind of work, and they didn't have machinery, but this was still being done by beasts of burden, is that you could get paid by the government if you were willing to pull the gravel out of these big holes in order to be able to remove it. And John Wooden's father, and with John watching, was watching this one man beat his animals and trying to curse at them and yell at them in order to try to get them up a particularly steep hill to get the gravel out of the hole so that they might get paid. And after watching this man struggle and watching the abuse that he was inflicting on the animals, John Wooden's father went over to the man and said, could I give you a hand with this? And with that, he began to do this, and this is how John Wooden writes it. Dad started talking to the horses, almost whispering to them, stroking their noses with a soft touch, and then he walked between them, holding their bridles and bits, while he continued to talk very calmly and gently as they settled down. Gradually, he stepped out in front of them and gave them a little whistle to start them moving forward while he guided the reins. And within moments, those two big plow horses pulled the wagon out of the gravel pit as easy as could be, as if they were happy to do it. I've never forgotten what I saw him do and how he did it. And over the years, I've seen a lot of leaders act like that angry young farmer who lost control. Don't miss this. It takes strength inside to be gentle on the outside. My friends, we live in a world that is filled with all kinds of struggles. And in the midst of these worlds, one of the temptations that the church is falling into is to falling into the pattern of the world. 
and that the pattern of the world is to turn the volume louder and louder and yell more and more and to become more violent and more abusive. And yet we believe that you cannot overcome evil with evil, but you can only overcome evil with good. And that one of the most obvious and basic things of the gospel, it is that the kindness that leads to repentance. And so maybe, maybe as a church, if we want to go further, if we want to be stronger, if we want to continue to grow, maybe what we need to do is not try harder, but try softer. That maybe trying to join the world in their abusive and violent ways isn't going to get us where we want to go. As Eugene Peterson says, you cannot do the Lord's work in the devil's way. The gospel comes to us as a seed, and yet many of us are trying to use the gospel like a boulder, and it just won't work. Jesus came on a humble donkey. And so first there's the seed, and then there's the soils. You know how sometimes when you're reading your Bible, it can be kind of hard and confusing to understand it? Literally, no response from that. You guys must read your Bibles differently than I do. Do you ever have time where you're reading your Bible and you have a difficult time understanding it? Thank you. Felt all alone up here. It's like, Pastor, you're the only one that struggles with it. This is not one of those stories because Jesus tells us a story and then he tells us immediately what it means. Wouldn't it be that all the stories of the Bible came with an interpretation from Jesus for it? This is how Jesus helps us interpret this story. Let's start in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is bone sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. This is what was sown along the path, for as what was sown on the rocky soil, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. But when tribulation or persecution rises on account of the word, immediately it falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word and prove unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. In other words, Jesus tells us exactly in the parable of the sower what the interpretation and the different layers mean. In other words, here are the different kind of typologies of soil that Jesus tells us in this story, that there's hard soil that's been worn down like a path. There's rocky soil that has no depth. There's thorny soil that is incredibly crowded. And there is good soil that is soft and deep and receptive. Another way of thinking about it in terms of our own hearts is that you can have a hard heart, you can have a shallow heart, you can have a divided heart, or you can have a whole heart. In other words, God sows the seed, and the seed comes to us in this way, and yet we have different responses to it on the basis of kind of our willingness, our receptivity. And so, every time I'm meeting with a variety of different people, this parable often flashes before my eyes 
This person is so hard-hearted, nothing can get through to this person. There's no openness whatsoever. This person grew up going to camp, and man, the seed took a root in their life, but it couldn't go very deep, and their faith never matured. This person has an eagerness towards God and His Word, but has so many other competing loyalties and allegiances that those things choke out any opportunity that the good news has in their life. And then sometimes you encounter somebody who is receptive, is open, is willing to be responsive to God and to His Word, not only hears it, but putting it into practice, not only understanding it, but being able to execute it and live their life as if they're trusting upon that Word. Different kinds of soil. And so if the first question is, are you trying softer? The second question is, what kind of soil are you right now in this season of your life? If you were to look at those four typologies, which one would you be? So there's these three dimensions of the story. There's the seed, there's the soil, but Jesus doesn't refer to this as the parable of the soils. He doesn't refer to it as the parable of the seed. He refers to it as the parable of the sower. I'll never forget the lightning bolt, light bulb moment, the aha that came to me when I was in college. I want to show you a picture of one of my best friends from college. This is Gabe, and Gabe grew up very differently than I did because Gabe grew up on a small farm in Ord, Nebraska. Anybody here know where Ord, Nebraska is? Two people in the sanctuary know where Ord, Nebraska is. And so because he grew up farming, we're in a Bible study in college, and somebody, a part of that college ministry, reads this story. And I'll never forget, we're all talking about the different types of soil, and you got these people and these people, and we're kind of... To borrow an agricultural image, we're lost in the weeds, and Gabe's just sitting there. And we're like, Gabe, would you like to share something? And he's like, yeah, nobody farms like this. (laughs) Since we had no experience with farming, we gave him the floor. What do you mean nobody farms like this? He's like, seed is precious. Seed is valuable. Nobody indiscriminately throws seed everywhere, not worrying about where it's landing. Who farms like this? He said, the only person that would farm like this is the wealthiest person you've ever met. Because they have enough to overflow in. At the end of the day, the most important part of the story and dimension is the fact that the one who is sowing the seed in our lives is so lavishly generous with you and me that it's beyond our wildest dreams. I love how J.D. Greer puts it. He says it like this. If you are not generous, you've never really experienced the gospel. If you feel guilty about how little generosity you show, you don't understand the gospel. I want to show you a short video of Presbyterians from another part of the world. 
The production value of this video will demonstrate that this is not something that we generated here at Peachtree, but comes from across the ocean. About Presbyterians and the movement of how they responded to God's generosity, one handful of rice at a time. Mufai Tam is a practice where each Mizo family puts aside a handful of rice every time they cook a meal and later gather it and offer to the church. The church in turn sells the rice and generates income to support its work. Rice has been the staple food of the people of Mizoram, the main life of the people. You are giving what is basic, essential, fundamental to your life. You are sharing that with God. The Handful of Rice Ministry started in Mizoram in 1910. That time, many people did not know the gospel. So the church thought that we need Bible women to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible women, they are locally supported women for evangelism. The practice of Bufaitam is meant for supporting those Bible women. This concept of Bufaitam became so popular throughout Mizoram over the years that giving was not limited to some individuals. The whole of Mizoram, rich or poor, young or old, Everybody contributed to it. So <laughs> It is something which my mother has taught all of us right from when we were very young. And I feel like Bufai Tam is a piece of Christian service that anyone can do it. Today, 95% of 900,000 Mizos are Christians. A strong and vibrant church has emerged. People started to give more and in creative ways. Rice, vegetables, firewood and other produce and also cash besides their regular tithes to the church. The churches in Mizoram are now self-sufficient. One such example is the Mizoram Presbyterian Church, the largest church in Mizoram with about 500,000 members. This year they are celebrating 100 years of the handful of rice ministry. around the world, also about a hundred-year-old congregation. 
who are living out the gospel of the generosity of the sower. The God who is willing to come to us gently in the form of a seed, who asks us what kind of soil we will be, and will we follow in his footsteps one handful of seed, one handful of rice at a time. Did you notice that they started the beginning of that practice a long time ago, that there was a woman there who talked about doing this for 70 or 80 years? And that in doing so, that the ministry had grown from training a handful of women to teach the Bible into a movement of the gospel where hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Christians are sharing the good news. When we think about the God that we serve, when we think about the moment of the stewardship that we have in our moment of time, if you're not generous, you don't understand the gospel. If you feel guilty for your generosity right now, you need to be the kind of person that lives into the gratitude, into the grace of Almighty God so that we might become more of the sowers on God's behalf with his good news. And so the prayer is not only for us to be receptive in the soil, but the prayer is for God to speak and to speak through us. And so I've invited Pastor Stephen and the choir to lead us in a prayer about God continuing to sow the seeds of his word in our hearts and our lives as we move into his glorious and generous future.
Oh, Lord. 